the big decision, the big decision 2022, 2022 live on Raw, Raw Top 51 AM. Hello and welcome to the first set of candidate interviews here on Raw Top 51 AM in collaboration with the board for this year's SU Spring Elections. My name is Cam Hall, the head of news here at Raw, and over the next week, this time 5 p.m. from Monday to Thursday, we're going to be bringing you interviews with all of your full-time officer candidates over the next week. Of course, it's spring elections week here on campus. It's one of the biggest weeks in student union democracy. And here at Raw and at the Boar as well, we are very much at the forefront, bringing you coverage of everything this week. So make sure you're staying tuned to everything we're doing throughout the week. And here at Raw, we've got plenty of coverage lined up this week with our exclusive candidate interviews, again, 5 p.m. every evening this week, detailed coverage throughout the week. And of course, the live results show 8 p.m. on Friday evening. All of this, of course, streamed across our social media, our YouTube channel, and the results show live on the big screen as well. So covering the big screen and the small screen with all of our coverage this week. Of course, it's a big week to really engage in student politics, get to know a little bit more about the big issues on campus, and most importantly, vote for the candidates that will represent you next year. And here at Raw, we are right at the forefront of this, as for the first time ever, we're moving our hustings and our interviews out of the studio, and we're moving them here fully online this year. We are, of course, bringing you interviews with your full-time officer candidates, getting to know them and their policies a little bit more, and of course, giving you the opportunity to, again, understand a little bit more about your candidates and use that to inform your vote. We'll be talking a little bit more about how you can vote this week later on. But as I said, plenty to get involved in this week. Well, of course, as I said, this isn't just a raw only project. I'm pleased to say I'm joined as well by my news editors over at the board, Ellie MacArthur, Eden Full Bailey. Thank you for joining me. Eden, let's start off with you. Um, plenty coming um, from the board this week. Give us an idea of what we can expect. Yes, so we've written up an SU elections paper, which basically sort of gives a little profile onto loads of the candidates who are hoping to be elected this year. Um, we're also going to be covering the interviews as um, Raw have done. I'm going to be doing write-ups and analysis of these. And hopefully on results night, we will also be covering um, the elections and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Indeed, plenty to look forward to from across the student media world in SU elections this week. Of course, SU elections week on campus has always been a very dramatic week. Loads of stuff going on, loads of stuff you can normally see, whether it's the cardboard signs, the hall touring or even circling with some of your candidates in pop. It's always a very fun week around campus. Um, Ellie, I guess I'm coming to you first. Is there anything you're particularly looking forward to this week? Yeah, I'm really interested to see what the student turnout is like in these elections, because I know in the recent ASVs, it's been a lot lower than it has been in previous years. So I'm quite interested to see if the turnout for this election also reflects that. Indeed. Um, Eden, anything for yourself? I, I would say student turnout as well, but not necessarily sort of, you know, who votes, but sort of they're going to have in-person polls this year on campus. And I'm really excited to see what kind of engagement that gets, because I feel like that is very political as a mechanism of obviously participating in elections. So I want to see how many students actually get involved. Indeed, certainly a very visible presence was these voting booths, which more um information we'll be giving very shortly um to be honest i'm i'm looking forward to the end so i can i can go to t-bar and put my feet up no to be fair i'm i'm quite excited about just really what comes out during the week i think i can remember in my first year and um, when su elections were taking place we had a story break um about the cladding on sherborne during the week and just to see the unpredictability that that can throw into the su elections just to see really what the candidates react to during the week. There's always something going on. And I think it's that little bit of unpredictability that I think makes this week really fun to cover. And of course, gives us a bit more work as well, but we can roll around that. Anyway, um, plenty more to come. Of course, today we are speaking to the Democracy and Development and the Education Officer candidates. So two pretty big hitters, and we'll be looking more into each position very shortly. And of course, 
bringing you each of the candidates. Um, but before we start, of course, voting in these elections is, of course, very much the main thing for you to be doing right now, of course, watching these videos, getting to know a bit more about your candidates and, of course, going on to cast your vote after. But you're probably thinking right now, how do I vote in these elections? Where do I go? What do I do? Well, don't worry. X1 has got you covered. Polls are opening soon. This video covers how voting works in SU elections and making your vote count. First, go to the Warwick SU website and log in using your student ID. Hover over the student voice tab and select the elections option. Scroll down to the spring election section and when polls open, click vote now. Voting uses the single transferable vote system or STV. When voting, you rank your favorite candidate as one but also rank the other candidates so that if your first choice candidate isn't selected your vote can be transferred to your second, third and so on. And that's how to vote. Voting booths will also be available at The Social Sciences Quad The Chemistry Department WMG WBS The Piazza The Oculus the Sports Hub and Medical School as an additional place to cast your vote. And that was X1 there explaining how you can vote in this week's elections, of course. The link at the bottom of the screen, https slash www.warwicksu.com slash student dash voice dash elections. So plenty for you. Actually, I'm going to do that again. I'll do that again. <laughs> And that was X1 there, taking you through, of course, how you can vote in this week's election. The link at the bottom of the screen, www.warwicksu.com slash student-voice slash elections, where you can find information, of course, on not just on this election, but, of course, all of the candidates standing this week, as well as, of course, the important link to vote. Well, Ellie Needin is still with me now. Let's go on, of course, to today's interviews, the Democracy and Development Officer and the Education Officer candidates. Now... All candidates across both positions and even of all full-time officers were offered an interview um, by Raw and the Ball for this programme. Um, we have interviewed the candidates that got back to us. Um, all candidates for each position will as well be interviewed in alphabetical order. So again, we're going to move on now to start off with a Democracy and Development Officer. And the candidates in this election are Kaya Siu, Cecil Lee, Jack Sperry, Paris Spiru, and Sophie Clark. Um, out of those candidates, Caius, Jack and Sophie replied to us. So we'll be speaking to each of them today. Now, Ellie, let's go to you firstly on this position. Um, Democracy and Development Officer, what exactly does that entail? What are the key issues that we'll be asking the candidates about? Yes, yeah, so the Democracy and Development Officer are responsible for the function of the SU's democracy and they help to initiate um, and ensure compliance with SU's democratic processes and policies. So as part of that, they tend to work with a lot of the part-time officers as well, notably the Environment and Ethics Officer. Um, and amongst their democratic responsibilities, they oversee the running of the SU's commercial operations. Um, so things like POP, uh, development issues, including housing and transport, and they work on sustainability projects with the SU as well. So if you have any complaints about Disco Dave's playlist, this is exactly the officer you go to. Well, as we said, today we're sitting down with Caius, Jack and Sophie. I'm going to bring you each of these interviews now. Hi, everyone. My name is Daphne and I'm a news deputy editor at the board. And today I'll be interviewing Caius Liu, a democracy and development officer candidate. So hi, Caius, and uh, thank you for coming for this interview. And to start off, can you tell us about your key uh, manifesto pledges, please? Thank you, Daphne. Um, uh, my key, my, my manifesto is split into five parts. So the first part I want to talk about is the democracy element. Um, I think the, demo, the democracy uh, engagement, the engagement of the SU with the broader student population um, is needs to be changed. Um, I also think that certain bureaucratic elements 
um, of the SU, including the ASV, for example, and also like um, some of the, the documents that they pr produce um, uh, on the website, for example, this sort of information is not clearly uh, 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 communicated towards students and it can be very confusing and um, uh, make, it, uh, uh, make, make it unengaging for students, for example. Um, I also uh, would like to focus on the different, on diversifying the sort of experiences that students have. Um, I would like to, for example, accommodate uh, it's like sort of LGBTQ uh, centered initiatives, um, as sort of events that uh, they can participate in. Um, I also would like to look at um, the drinking socials, for example, uh, and tackle ways, for example, to increase, uh, tackle like spiking issues um trying to freeze price on food and drinks um increasing circuits in space that sort of thing um also uh there's a another aspect i focus on is to try and develop on sh on shop uh, on campus shops and services um including i want to try and diversify the food um on campus too um it's very uh yeah i would like to to, to introduce different cultures of food onto campus um, and i think the food that currently at sort of like say the duck for example is very limited to burgers and some other stuff which is um, not too appealing uh i also like to uh, continue sort of uh, environmental sustainability projects um and uh, i also like to final part of my campaign is we'll also look at um uh, the accommodation uh, including to uh lobby the the university to uh, freeze the rent price or introduce more low accommodation options um, because this is something that a lot of people have been asking for. Thank you so much. And with declining turnout and engagement in recent SU elections and all student votes, how would you make SU democracy more accessible, inclusive and engaging? Well, I think the primary thing with like say, uh, as I mentioned, the engagement with SU, the ASV has been it's really appalling. It's like one twentieth of the student pop, less than one twentieth of the student population or something. The recent ASV, um, this um, I think, uh, I think it reflects a sort of lack of engagement with the wider student body. Um, I would like to definitely streamline the sort of processes um, that occur, for example, in ASV when people uh, submit a motion. Um, it very often the the motions could get, um the original intent of the motions might get um um hollowed out um as it goes through the bureaucracy um also i think that um the su communication is generally very lack uh, very appalling or lacking in the sense that um stuff is very confusing to find especially on the su website um i mean if i was try I, when I was trying to look at information for my role for ddo for example i didn't like it was very difficult to find substantial uh points about what my role entailed besides like a few bullet points on the website um saying what the general role involved um i think this reflects how officers need to have a greater transparency and about their action uh what they do in like a sort of weekly or monthly context um and also i think this enables more accountability which will hopefully provide more substantial engagement with the wider student population rather than just um, sort of corporatized like 30 second videos which were available on say the Facebook page or Instagram page about the elections which I thought was very meaningless. Thank you and um, do you think partisan politics and campaigns have a place uh, in SU democracy? I, I definitely think that um, the SU politics currently especially in the student council is very partisan and I generally think that it does not it has a it has a sense it has a play in terms of pe shaping people's beliefs but it should not define people's beliefs um i think um uh when when you go into a student council for example and you're entering an important vote and if you already know what you're going to vote for before you even hear the pro candidate what the what the pro the motion for example uh the proposer has to say for example then i think these sorts of sort of phenomenons are um not very are very like uh, un undemocratic in a sense because um, it's kind of like you've already decided what you're going to do before you even hear what the person has to say. And I think um, my position as a, I, I'm not involved with any party. I'm not being involved with any party with my whole life. In fact, I've, I'm, I actually lived in Hong Kong for, for 18 years. I'm not 
very involved with the UK politics at all. So my position as a DDO is, um, I think also it should be more impartial. I should not be swayed by the uh, sort of party politics or anything like that. And I will also look at stuff by case by case basis. Thank you. And you've talked about this before in your uh, answers. As a sabbatical officer leading on sustainability, how would you look at look to achieve net zero on campus and when by? Um, I think um, to say when by is a an issue that I'll have to look at when I if I get into office. I suppose um, the but I think in terms of certain plans that I would like to conduct, of course, there's existing. Um, sustainability plans. I mean, there's a recent um, ASV vote on the sustainability education. Um, part of my manifesto is to implement, for example, the mock energy bills, which was mentioned in that uh, motion, uh, where um, students' energy awareness, for example, uh, so students will have like monthly emails sent to them about their energy consumption, and this will help uh, uh, raise their awareness. I also like to create a food bank. Uh, at the SU, um, not for students, but for students to collect stuff, and we can send it off to external charities to to uh, help ra raise our engagement with also wider the with the wider Warwick community or commentary community. Um, I also like to partner with some reward schemes to uh, to, to incentivize uh, walking and cycling onto campus or on campus. Thank you. And you've talked about this as well, about food, uh, freezing the food prices and rent prices. So with rising living costs, a major concern for students, how would you seek to keep costs low in the SU outlets and encourage the university to do the same in theirs? Um, I would uh, definitely like to look at, um, for example, I have a policy which was um, to, to introduce the campus loyalty card. I don't know why it's been uh, removed but it's it definitely helps in say um, incentivizing um, people to consume more at SU outlets rather than um, at other outlets. And in in this sense, um, this will help you know have more. Uh, this will allow the restaurants to have more funds, for example, to uh, it, it, as a whole as as people keep on coming in, um, and uh, it will incentivize the use of SU, SU outlets, of course. Um, and uh yeah I, uh that's yeah, that's my main policy regarding that thank you and as ddo you will sit with the su president uh, on the yep. university council how would you approach discussions with the university and repre represent students interests um i am quite new i'm very neutral i'm not involved in any sort of party um and i will definitely look at stuff by case by case basis so in this sense um, I'm very open to looking at different um, uh, minority groups, for example, or even the uh, and definitely getting their opinions and stuff. And I will also look at uh, majority groups uh, part of different parties. I'm more keen to adopt an approach of in this situation, what sort of uh, uh, benefits or uh, negatives are and trying to look at that rather than um, assuming a sort of uh, belief system. And in this uh, in this sense, I am uh, much. I think I'm adapt for this. Adapt for this. Thank you. And the last question is: What makes you stand out from other candidates? Um, I am very different in the sense that um, I I come from Hong Kong, for example. Not I I am part British, but I come from Hong Kong, and I also um, I have a heavy presence in societies. For example, I'm a president of the Anime Manga Society. Um, I'm generally take uh, i generally take a quite outward look towards the society as, as a sociologist for example i'm not I'm, i try to distance myself sometimes from politics and try to look at the broader societal picture so in this case i'm quite a uh, uh look at stuff well quite well-roundedly i think thank you so much so much for the interview thank you thank you Hi, I'm Celia. I'm the Features Editor at The Board, and today I'm interviewing a candidate for Democracy and Development Officer at Warwick SU. Um, and today I'm interviewing Jack Sperry. Um, so Jack, what are your key manifesto pledges? So what we want is a cheaper, greener and safer campus because campus shouldn't cost your entire student loan. So what we want to introduce is a more affordable student living with a happy hour and tea bar, extending that to curiosity and bespoke deals 
both uh, on campus and outside of campus with bars and restaurants. I want a greener campus with a green new deal, continue what I've done as the SU environment and ethics officer. Um, and I'd be doing things like reduce plastic, especially in the copper rooms, which I know many people very much dislike. And we want a safe campus because it should be accessible to all to go out and have fun um, and not live in fear. So we want to train professionals, work, train staff, work professionals and councils um, so we can make things like drinks biking um, a thing of the past. And so that's what we want. We want a cheaper, greener, safer campus. Thank you. The next question is, with declining turnout and engagement in recent SU elections and all student votes, how will you make SU democracy more accessible, inclusive and engaging? Okay, so, um, and that's the problem I think we usually have is that um, SU officers um, don't seem to be engaged with people. People feel that they have to go to the SU rather than the SU come to them. So my democracy package will include pop-ups around campus, all over campus, campus and every uh, part of it where officers will go there and people can talk to them ask them questions ask them how to implement things um, and that will engage all officers lgbtqa plus trans officer ethnic minorities what have you and so i think that every community can come and talk to us talk to us as officers and tell us what they want we're going to come to you rather than you having to come to us amazing thank you so, do you think partisan politics and campaigns have a place in SU democracy? Um, no, I don't think it does because I think it, it that restricts people that haven't maybe engaged with politics as much. It means that only those who are political, only those that are engaged in the political society and campus can run for office, can um, get elected because they have that base of support and, and, and they might not know as much about certain issues as those political and that reduces accessibility so it shouldn't really have any place and we should try to restrict it so that everybody from every walk in life can engage in it the next question is with rising living costs a major concern for students how would you seek to keep costs low in su outlets and encourage the university to do the same in theirs so um on day one, I would start pressuring the commercial team um, to first introduce a happy hour, well, happy hours, from five to nine in T-Bar and from one to five in Curiosity. So we can have uh, cheap prices there. It's something we've had before. It's something we can have again. Um, and at the, at the same time, I think we could pressure Roots Grocery Store to maybe have a, a more uh, a value range because currently it's ridiculously expensive uh, for the convenience store um that it is and um we would we'd also seek to get off-campus deals um with uh, bars and restaurants so that societies can go there and um, have fun off campus great so as ddo you will sit with the su president on the university council how would you approach discussions with the university and represent students interests very much collaborative way because I think generally the university don't respond very well when people are when when, when people are uh, act too much um, against them and treat them like they're completely the enemy. They're not the enemy. We should be working with them. So I'd have a collaborative approach. Um, you know, get to know the people um, in the university, um, have a personal relationship with them, and be able to talk to them about it like grown-ups rather than in a way that I'm campaigning against them, that I'm campaigning with them because we all want a better student life. Okay, so the penultimate question is, as sabbatical officer leading on sustainability, how would you look to achieve net zero on campus and when would you aim to achieve net zero by? Uh, yeah, so I'm the Warwick Environment and Ethics Officer. Um, so I've been doing um, a lot of this um, at the moment. I would generally consider to get to uh, net zero by 2035. I think that's probably the realistic target. Um, and I think first of all, we've got to start reducing emissions. So make sure that the uh, the vans that come on campus that give out food um, are, um, are local. So we're reducing our carbon footprint there. 
but also I think we need to invest more in solar panels. We've got, if you look at all the buildings, we've got very flat roofs, you know, it's not going to ruin the look of the campus. We can have more solar panels across the university. And I think it's outrage. We don't currently have that many. Great. And the final question is, what makes you stand out from other candidates hoping to be democracy and development officer? So um, I've, I have a, a well thought out plan that I've been thinking about over a couple of months. And that's because I've been the Warwick Environment and Ethics Officer. And that not, not just because environment is part of the portfolio of DGO, but also because I can hit the ground running. I know people in the SU, I know how it's run. Um, I know who to talk to. Um, and I know how to um, how to do it essentially. And also for the past four months, I think now, I've been talking to students about their concerns around the environment, but also other issues, um, getting their opinions, trying to implement their opinions. So by the time I become DDO, I would have already been doing that for a year. It's just um, continue to do it and doing it better with more time. Great, and that's all the questions. Thank you so much for coming Thanks. along and talking to the raw to Raw today um, and thank you very much. Thank you very much, cheers. I am here interviewing Sophie Clark who is running for Democracy and Development Officer. Um, so to start off, the first question is, what are your key manifesto pledges? So my key manifesto pledges are um, uplifting student power, focusing on climate justice and making student life cheaper. Um, this means a variety of things from um, changing how SU democracy works to allowing students to campaign and access campaign campaign funds easier, um, being harder on the university when it comes to its sustainability pledges and making it really dedicate itself to climate justice. Um, it means trying to, in the long run, get free transport for students, um, introducing a rent um, cap so that um, the increased rent every year that universities have been putting up um, can stop um, alongside many other um, policies that can hopefully help change students' lives for the better. So with declining turnout and engagement in recent SU elections and all student votes, votes how would you make SU democracy more accessible, inclusive and engaging? I think it, it needs to come back to addressing different aspects of the student population. So engaging with the part-time officers to see how they can connect with the different communities they represent, um, because alongside um, the decline in engagement, the um, yeah, the, the way of getting more people into, into these positions is by connecting with the communities as, as they are. Um, so that's with working with the Pride Society and different culture societies to um, engage with new students. It also means actively going out and talking to different societies to see what their issues are with the student democracy and finding ways of um, getting more people engaged that way. Okay, the next question is, do you think partisan politics and campaigns have a place in SU democracy? Um, I, I believe um, all politics is partisan at the end of the day. Um, there's no way of escaping it, even if we try to. Um, an attempt to escape the partisan model is is almost lying to ourselves because those who we're running against and, and alongside are, are have, have different positions and understandings of, about the world. And there's no way that that is not going to be reflected in the campaigns that they run. Okay. As sabbatical officer leading on sustainability, how would you look to achieve net zero on campus and when would you aim to achieve net zero by? Um, I believe that net zero in itself is a is a compromise. I think that we can do this by working along with the university to um, like decarbonize its energy system. Um, the, we've already seen this with the introduction of electric vans on campus, um, and there's a whole swathe of university policy um, already in place um, as, as a plan to get us there. Um, however, it's, it's a process of really putting it in place and keeping the university to its promises. At the moment, um, the university believes it can reach net zero um, through, um, produce, through helping to produce um, like batteries and other um, alternate methods of like technological solutions to these problems. Um, this will not be enough. 
and will require the university to engage in re rewilding aspects of, of the campus and making a real dedication to um, an, an ecological solution rather than a technological one. You've muted yourself. Thank you, sorry. Um, the next question is, as DDO, you will sit with the SU president on the university council. How would you approach discussions with the university and represent students' interests? Um, I believe that I can look at what's coming up on the agenda and bring it towards the different aspects of the student population, having conversations with the partner officers and other students that I'm engaged with on campus and see what their voices are. I think there may be other ways of engaging students via, um, if there's a big issue coming up, holding large meetings with the student body to see what their, what their solutions problems are and bringing that to the, the student the university management um, in a very firm way that means that prioritizes that I am on the side of students. Okay, um, the penultimate question is, with rising living costs a major concern for students, how would you seek to keep costs low in SU outlets and encourage the university to do the same in theirs? I believe that the main cost for university students is rent. Um, as, as most students um, on campus who have a student loan, of that student loan, a large majority of that is going towards their, their rent and accommodation costs. Where, as this increases every single year, the only way I see this money that that money going to is towards the university, um, towards new projects. Um, I think that there's an, a possibility maybe of redirecting money from new projects. The university seems to believe it can build a new building every single year while, while raising rent costs. And I think a rent cap would be a primary way of doing this. I also believe that we can reduce the um, society's fees and find ways of working with the SU outlets to reduce their costs via, um, yes, we can find a way. <laughs> okay, so the final question for you is, what makes you stand out from other candidates hoping to be Democracy and Development Officer? In, in contrast to other candidates, I believe I have had a history of working in the, with these exact same issues. I was working uh, with the Youth Strike for Climate and Extinction Rebellion, um, mainly focusing on finances and democratic processes. So my, my past experience of, of activism and political engagement have been these issues. It has been wor working out how to gather information from broad groups of people to make decisions as a whole while having that focus of climate justice alongside of it. Great, and that is all our questions. Thank you so much for coming along today and talking to Raw. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Yes, thank you very much. The Big Decision, the big decision 2022. 2022. Live on Raw, Raw. 51 AM. That was, of course, Democracy and Development Officer candidates talking to us there. Again, you can vote for your Democracy and Development Officer candidates using this link, worksu.com slash student dash voice slash elections where of course you can see everything not just from the ddo race but all of the other races taking place this week and speaking about other races it's time now to move on from the democracy and development officer candidates to the education officer candidates and of course our education officer candidates standing in this election shi shang lo nazifa saman and rahul agarwal now the education officer on campus is not just education officer but also the deputy president of the Students' Union. It's their job to ensure that your academic experience is as good as it can possibly be, um, with a particular emphasis, of course, on ensuring that for marginalised and mature students, ensuring they receive equal academic opportunities to undergraduate and, of course, postgraduate students as well. And the Education Officer, of course, has been responsible in recent years for um, liberating the curriculum and, of course, very much forming a big part of considerations looking to the curriculum going forward. Um, as well as that, the education officer sits atop of the academic rep system that includes the SSLCs, the faculty reps, the department reps, and really making sure that they can raise students' concerns directly with the university. Well, as we said, we offered all 
education officer candidates an interview. Shishang and Nazifa got back to us. So here are their interviews. Hello everyone and welcome to yet another interview as part of Big Decision here at Raw 12.51am and today I'm here with one of the Education Officer candidates. Please introduce yourself, tell us your name and um, one thing you're looking forward to should you be elected as an Education Officer. Hi everyone, my name is Chi Shang, I am the current Society's Officer and I'm running to be your next Education Officer for the Students' Union. One thing I look forward to, I think it's instilling like change in, in the relation to how the SU conducts education involving direct communication, direct consultation with students and, and reps, and so helping and working with the university to achieve that as well. Nice. Well, nice to meet you, Chi Shang. I'm really excited to interview you and um, well, get to know what your, what your aims are and your whole manifesto. Right. First question, straight off the bat, tell me. What are your key priorities? My key priorities. So yes. my first priority is to ensure that there is in-person teaching and there's universal electric capture, well, as much of it as possible going into the next year, because as we've seen a lot of data and also a lot of student opinion, in-person teaching is obviously is the most preferred sort of way of teaching that students want. I've seen in the recent ASV and a lot of different surveys that the SEOs all conducted. So that's one thing I'm going to be sort of look, working with the university to make sure that it was happening, that is happening in the next academic year. Next, I want to work towards making sure that education remains inclusive for all. So this involves making exams more flexible in relation to assessment types and delivery, and also making mitigating circumstances easier to sort of making it easier to sort of apply for, and also ensuring that self-certification is something which continues even after COVID-19. And also linking on from that is making sure that student well-being is at the center point of any sort of education sort of platform. So again, self-certification and also perhaps looking into peer-to-peer -peer buddy schemes within academic societies, because I think that's some, somewhere we should be looking into, because societies obviously, you know, as societies also are quite important for like social circles. And I think that is the perfect place to sort of instill um, well-being and stuff like that. Okay, wow. Interesting priorities, nice to know. And um, how would you simplify the academic mitigation process across all departments? As you mentioned, do you believe they should be easier? But how so? Cool. So I think one issue and one barrier which is facing at the moment is um, it's quite, you know, some students are not sure if certain things count as mitigation. So like, for example, maybe some students might be, you know, suffering from mental health issues at a time, but they might be not so well, uh, they may not think that counts as mitigation, especially, I mean, as a, as a former student myself, when I was a student, I was always like, mm, should I actually be applying for mitigation? Or is this is severe enough? And I think something we need to change in relation to culture, like culturally within students that they should be sort of, you know, taking their mental health, you know, to put, put it at the forefront. And, you know, we should be encouraging students to sort of see if this is really affecting your sort of educational needs, you should be applying looking to apply for mitigating circumstances. So one way I think I'll be trying to do, I will be doing is making that sort of area clearer to students, sort of make it more transparent and making a guide perhaps, for example, in relation to what counts as mitigating circumstances and making it easier for students. So this will be across all department levels and also making outlining the process easier, making sure that students are fully well aware of the whole process which goes into it. Interesting. And moving towards an increasingly online post-COVID world that we are experiencing right now, how would you ensure that students' accessibility needs are met to adapt to this? So adapting to the more online sort of platforms, is that what you're talking about? Yes. So, you know, with COVID, sure, things are returning to in-person, but increasingly yeah. we are online as to what we okay. were before COVID. So how would you make sure that, yeah. Cool. So, of course, moving more in person as seen in this in term two again. But of course, as I've alluded to, and I think you're well aware, there's accessibility needs for a lot of students and a lot, there's still a need for this sort of online element. So one thing I'm going to be pushing for is universal lecture capture as being, you know, 
more widespread and more mandatory across all lectures. So that means students can actually access their lectures, you know, easier across whenever they want and et cetera, giving them effectively an online option. One thing the university is looking into is more hybrid sort of hybrid teaching methods, for example, like in seminars, looking at ways to sort of synchronize an online presence with the in-person presence. And one thing which I've been doing as sort of interim education officer during term one and part of term two is sort of pushing the university to ensure that students remain consulted in these processes, because I think it's important that students should know what's happening in relation to how education is run and also make sure that these sort of new technology don't suck when they when they get implemented and make sure they actually work. In terms of further things, I think I'll also help, I will in fact also help the university with their transcript transcripting program, which I believe they're sort of doing, which they're implementing right now to make sure that lectures, online lectures or any online resources remain accessible to students with like with with needs, with needs, for example. So like making sure that lectures and education uh, stuff remains accessible to them. And further from that, we've got to make sure online resources in relation, like library resources for students remain online and make sure that that's a provision which exists and continues. Because I know in COVID-19, a lot of departments sort of expanded their online library of books, for example, and that's something which should remain because I think it's easier for, it's easier for students to access online, you know, at, the, at ease anytime on their laptops or computers. Thank you, Chaching. That sounds like an interesting set of ideas. Moving on from that, um, as you know, as I'm sure you know, departments are increasingly differentiating on the way they assess students. As an education officer, how would you ensure parity across departments? Um, so ensure like, um, what do you mean? So in case like, how exams are assessed between departments or is that what you so, mean? So students across all different departments are being assessed differently. How would you ensure parity or I guess um, across departments as an education officer? So I think one I, I think one main issue which I saw sprung up to me in relation to sort of assessment choice, assessment delivery has always has been sort of choice for students. I think, for example, in CS, there's been a lot of you know, back and forth between staff and students in relation to online exams and in-person exams. And of course, as a result, there's always, there's been sort of, I guess, in the onset of COVID-19, there's been sort of this tug of war. I think in general, a lot of exams have, a type of exams have sort of diversified. There's always, there's like in-person, in-book exams and in-person exams, open book exams, online exams, all that stuff. I think one thing that remains constant however is to ensure that each assessment type remains sort of weighted the same i think so for example so regardless of however a student chooses to do their exams whether there is that choice which is something are we pushing for it should be something which should be calibrated in sort of the same weight and the same way and in relation to different departments of course it's quite difficult because a lot of departments are very different in how they do stuff so a lot of them do a lot of coursework, some of them are a bit more specialized, might have like presentations. But I think I think I think um it should be I think it should be sort of um basically down to the department as well. But of course there's also has to be this sort of university overhead over it to make sure there is not too much discrepancy in relation to how students are weighted. I think that being said, I think what should be paramount in regards to this is sort of student choice in relation to assessments. And whilst, of course, parity is very important, got to ensure that the choice and make sure that education works around all students. So, yeah. Nice. Thank you. And could you tell me briefly your plans to continue liberating the curriculum? Cool. So. Of course, um, as a as a politics student, a lot of my, a lot of my degree has been involved around sort of um, liberation issues. So, like, I wrote a lot about post-colonial theory during my degree, and of course, it's incredibly important that decolonizing the curriculum is is something which should continue and should be con should continue within university and as well as an, be an SU sort of priority going on for. So, one thing that I will be pushing the SU more, perhaps, for example, is sort of make sure that whatever restructuring happens in the students' union, that decolonization should remain a center point in the new academic voice teams of management. For example, uh, looking towards employing a decolonized 
um, decolonized manager, which is something which DSU is looking into and something which I will support going to it. Of course, there's other sort of liberation issues which should be not forgotten. For example, we should be looking towards querying, you know, querying the, the, the curriculum as well. And it's something I should be pushing the university to ensure that a lot of the hidden voices in sort of academia, within like sort of Western-centric academia, should should not be ignored. And it's something that I will be pressuring un the university across all departments to ensure that happens as well. And as well as making sure that's the centerpiece of SU SU priorities as well. Yeah. And Shoshin, do you seek any changes to the SSLC slash faculty rep system? And would you work, how would you work actually more closely with them to improve students' academic experience? Cool. So one thing which I think has been a bit of a deficiency this year has been sort of SU and fac um, academic rep sort of interaction ever since uh, the academic rep team, academic voicing for that matter in the SU has sort of have, have left their post, there has been sort of this vacuum and where um, there's been this missing link between faculty reps, for example, and like SU bodies. One thing I will do as education officer is directly consult with these academic reps and ensure that their voices are, you know, linked directly towards mine. And whenever I, and Thus, I can use that as evidence and as support for policy changes in relation to the students' union. So, um, so you said something about changes to the rep system and sort of engaging with reps. Is that correct? Yes, that's so correct. That's one. That's basically my main vision in relation to the rep system. It's basically sort of integrating it more into the students' union policy making because there is a vast, vast you know, um, resource of. Um, knowledge and experience that literally students you know we should be talking to them and that sh that should be our center point of how we should you know be informing ourselves of student issues and bring it direct to university i mean for example computer science their sslc was had a lot of discussion points around um around assessment choice and since i came across this because since i was came across this because it was fed to me by certain reps for example, this is something I could bring to the university in, in last term and say to them, look, this is something which certain, you know, this department and their students are thinking this is not exactly right. And we can sort of press the university to say, okay, look, we need to get this changed and we need to get this sorted. So basically greater engagement with the student with academic reps and making sure that they are well integrated in the SU education priorities. Okay, nice. And I guess the big question, what makes you stand out from other education officer candidates? Cool. So first of all, is I think main the main thing is, is my experience. So first of all, I am the society's officer of the Students' Union. And also for the past term and a bit, I've also been interim slash part-time education officer covering for Isabel and that has given me a lot of wealth of experience in relation to the role so for example I've been chairing I've chaired uh, SLEEK for example which is one of the like main universities of education committees which has been incredibly enjoyable I've also sat in many other committees such as edExec and AQSC and also EDCOM and in those meetings, I've been able to work with a lot of the university staff and also give a lot of SU updates and guide the SU, at times, in fact, guide the SU education policy, as well as on top of my society's officer work. So what that gives me is a lot of experience into how policymaking university is formed and also how the SU can, it gives me a lot of um, experience on how we as an SU can sort of dictate or push and sort of mold education policy at the university level. So that, that I think the experience of doing the role, at least for a term part alongside my current office role is what gives me this sort of, I know what they say, like uh, makes me stand out amongst the other candidates. So I think, yeah. That's interesting. Thank you very, very much, Jishang, for being such a wonderful um, interview me and honestly the best of luck from me and uh, yes thank you very much cheers thank you very much hello everyone and welcome to raw 1251 am's coverage of the upcoming warwick student union elections for our sabbatical officers 
I'm Joshua Gray, and I shall be interviewing one of our candidates for the Education Officer positions, uh, Nazifa Zaman. Hi, Nazifa. Uh, how are you doing? Hi, I'm good, thank you. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing very good, thank you. Yeah, so obviously we've got a few questions for you about your upcoming yeah, sure. uh, candidacy for the Education Officer. Firstly, how has uh, everything been going with the campaign so far? Um, yeah, it's going well. I mean, the way... Um, the SU are conducting the elections this year is really exciting um, and obviously a huge change from all being online um, last year. Um, so I'm really excited to, you know, go out to speak to students and, and to hear their thoughts and their concerns and, and to, yeah, just be speaking to people throughout the campaign, really. Yeah, very good. Um, so firstly, I want to ask you um, about so your campaign itself. Uh, firstly, uh, what would you say uh, for people uh, watching this and don't know too much about your campaign, what are like, your key priorities for Education Officer? Yeah, um, so I have three main key priorities. So my first one is a free and fair education. Um, you know, the university made a surplus of £79.3 million last year, and that was after the rent strike, after the rent rebates. So literally students withholding millions of pounds and they still made almost 80 million pounds surplus um, compared to like just under 60 million in 2019. So they made more of a surplus than they made before the pandemic. Um, and so it's not that like when we ask for stuff, it's not that the uni doesn't have enough money. They definitely do. Um, so yeah, free and fed Education is my first main priority. My second one is um, protecting student and staff well-being. So looking into getting more disability support and more mental health support for students, um, especially students who don't have formal diagnoses. Um, it costs a lot of money to get diagnosed with like learning difficulties or other disabilities. Um, so yeah, definitely more support for that. And then thirdly is um, reclaiming and reshaping education to meet our needs so things like you know demanding the university actually release our exam timetables in advance um it's ridiculous this is my fourth year at warwick um and i've never seen uh, the exam timetable actually come out like in a reasonable time um and this year module timetables took ages to, to come out as well so definitely working on that um, but also in terms of reclaiming and reshaping education, you know, revamping the SU decolonized project. It's been pretty dead for the last two years, but it's really important that we get things going again. So, yeah, those are my three main priorities. Mm, yeah, that's very good. And you mentioned uh, obviously about uh, decolonizing the curriculum. One thing I'd like to ask about that is what is your, your sort of plans to sort of continue liberating the curriculum going forward? Yeah, um, so I actually worked on the Decolonised project back in 2019. Um, I was an advocate and so I produced like a research paper um, with, with my partner who worked and we were both working on the School of Modern Languages and Cultures and we produced a report on um, things that uh, SMLC were doing but also not doing and we provided recommendations to the department. Um, like because the project has been dead we don't actually know if any of these recommend recommendations that me or my partner provided or that people who are working with other departments provided were actually ever taken on board um so first port call would be to actually make sure those recommendations are 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 being heard and being listened to and and departments are actually taking them on board but moving beyond that i think it's great that we're expanding our curricula and it's great that, you know, people are, are finding their modules more exciting. Um, but I think we need to go beyond that when we speak about decolonizing um, the curriculum or our education system in general, you know. Um, the university has a lot of ties with with companies who, who either like, you know, um, are producing weapons which cause like, so much destruction around the world or like funds with um like fossil fuel companies etc um again causing destruction around the world so when we talk about decolonization um it's important that we look at it in terms of the curriculum but also in terms of what the university is actually doing in its activity and not just locally but across the world because that's what decolonization is about it's not just about what happens locally it's about 
it's about the globe and it's about our histories that are connected and interwoven. So making sure that we're holding the university to account on their ethical um, or lack thereof investments. Yeah, I think that's definitely a good way of going forward deliberating the curriculum. Also, one thing you mentioned in your key priorities was uh, sort of the accessibility, particularly uh, in terms of welfare and also for disabilities as well. I think yeah. uh, one thing I would ask is since we are moving to a more increasingly online uh, post-COVID world uh, in terms of uh, sort of our education and our examinations, um, how would you ensure that sort of students' accessibility needs are sort of met to adapt to that changing uh, university sort of curriculum? Yeah, definitely. I mean, when things moved online, and especially with, with lectures being recorded, um, there was uproar, and rightly so, um, because disabled students have been saying for for years and years and years that we need to be able to access our lectures online. Um, and that has been really helpful for a lot of students, um, whether that be because you have a physical disability, whether that because you have um, mental health issues, or whether that be because you have a learning difficulty that makes it hard for you to get in on time, etc. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it was a good step, but it's obviously not enough. And there are obviously concerns that Warwick UCU have in terms of lecture capture, which I want to work with them on um, to make sure that we can make universal lecture recordings a thing um, so that university is more accessible to everyone. But that doesn't mean there aren't still problems. So in terms of closed captioning, um, the auto-generated closed captions are really awful. I don't know if you still have lectures online and you see the closed captions going down the side. They rarely ever match up with what the lecturer is actually saying. Um, so working on that to try and get um, to try and get those to be more accurate. But also I want to hear from dis from disabled students across the university. I want to work with a disabled students officer and I want to work with disability services to see what else there is that we can do to improve accessibility online and offline. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I think that sounds really good. I think another thing about sort of accessibility as well is uh, particularly the sort of mitigation process that we have, which has been sort of fault that we've had recently. I think a lot of students have complained about the process. So how would you uh, go forward with sort of simplifying the academic mitigation process across departments uh, if you were elected? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the mitigation process is, is really long and it's really intrusive. Um, and it asks for evidence that we can't always provide or that is quite sensitive. Um, and there is an option for, you know, showing sensitive material on that, um, to your personal tutor only and then vouching for you. But that is also quite a long-winded process. Um, and so I want to move forward in terms of, you know, we don't always need to ask students for evidence for everything because that's not that's not always possible. Um, you know, students have suffered bereavement in so many cases and have been asked to um, provide uh, death certificates, etc. which, you know, is really, really stressful in and of itself in a time when you're just trying to grieve um, and just trying to spend time with your loved ones. So yeah, working to push the university on, you know, um, decreasing the, the requirements for providing evidence, especially in such tough circumstances. Um, and it would make so many students' lives so much more easier because people don't know, don't really know where to begin when it comes to mitigation. Yeah, I think that's a very good way to look at it. I think also with um, issues with assessments has been uh, the fact there's a lot of differences between departments on how they're assessed. So um, they're, like, since departments are sort of increasingly differentiating on the way that they're assessing uh, students, how would you uh, say to ensure that there is sort of parity across the departments? Yeah, um, so one of my manifesto points is actually to push um, departments to start using more alternative assessment methods. And A, um, I think that'd be great for accessibility as well, you know. Loads of people struggle with writing essays, but think actually, if if my assessment was, I don't know, to make a podcast or or to do an oral examination, which they do in Italy a lot of the times, um, that they'd actually perform much better. Um, so exams and alternative assessments, alternative assessment methods are actually an accessibility issue as well. Um, but in terms of um, making departments work together, I think something which actually the 
the politics department does quite well is allow students to choose different between different assessment methods. Um, so if you're taking a 30 cap module in the politics department, you can choose whether you want to do an essay and an end of year exam or whether you want to do two essays for example. So working with departments and working with academic reps as well, um, because at the end of the day, they are the ones representing their cohorts um, to push departments to to take that on board and to, to provide alternative assessment methods um, so that students can choose um, and do what works best for them. Very good. Actually, I was going to come to the, actually, the SSLC and faculty reps as one of my final questions, it's like, would you, and obviously you sort of indicated it there, but would you seek any changes to, to that system? And how would you work uh, more closely with them to improve the academic experience for all of our students? Yeah, I mean, I think the current academic rep system, um, it's a huge network, but there's not a lot of communication between faculties or between departments, or even just between courses, like when you have joint honours SSLCs and single honours SSLCs, there isn't actually much communication going on between these reps, but with such a huge network of academic reps, we could actually do quite a lot. And it all comes down to communicating. And I think historically what has been an issue, and, and I can also definitely vouch for this, um, even having been a faculty rep and also having been a part-time officer last academic year, is that there isn't actually a lot of communication between the full-time officer team and then the rest of the, the reps and, and the officers who aren't full-time. Um, so communication is one thing that I'm really, really um, keen on getting um, ingrained into the SU culture um, and making sure that reps are talking to one another to see what works in their departments and what doesn't. And to make sure that reps know that they can actually work with each other and that they're not isolated in just their single honours or joint honours or in just their faculties. And that actually education is what we're all here for. And so to, to if we want to make change, we have to work together. Um, so yeah. Well, thank you very much. And for my final question for you um, is, what is it that you think makes you stand out from all the other uh, education officer candidates? Yeah, um, so, I mean, I'd urge people to read my manifesto in full and to have a look at my campaign video. But essentially what I'll say is I've, I've campaigned um, like on inside and outside of the SU um, since I've arrived at university in 2018. Um, you know, I was I was part of, of the rent strike and helping to organize that. And through that, we helped to back students thousands of pounds last year when the university were just going to keep making us pay rent. Um, I've also been inside the SU. I've done stuff as the co-ethnic minorities officer last year. So I've got the experience of working inside the SU, but I also know that the SU isn't going to get all the changes that we want on its own and that we actually need to work with students um, who aren't full-time officers, who aren't, who, who are just um, going about their daily lives because at the end of the day, like I said, we're all here for our education, right? And so we all need to work together. So. I'd say what, stand, what makes me stand, stand out is my experience in campaigning both inside and outside of the SU and I'm gonna keep doing that. That's not going to change if I get elected. Um, so yeah, that would be my USP, I guess. Well, that's, that's really amazing. Thank you very much, Naz, for, for taking Thank the time you. out to have this interview today. No worries. Thank you for having me. Big decision, the big decision 2022, 2022 live on Raw, Raw. 51 AM. And that was your education officer candidate speaking to us there. And again, to cast your votes for them this week, plus, of course, all the other candidates and for more information in general about the elections, link down at the bottom of the screen, worksu.com slash student dash voice slash elections. I'm going to be saying that link so many times this week. It's going to it's going to get boring by the end of it. But Nothing about spring elections is boring. Um, Ellie, Eden, that brings us to the end of our interviews now um, for today. Just very quickly, though, in terms of the considerations for people voting for the DDO, voting for the education candidates, what exactly should people have in mind? What exactly are the key issues linked to both positions for students to be thinking about? Let's go back to democracy and development firstly. Ellie, 
what are we really thinking about there? Um, I think one of the key things that kept coming up in the election hustings on Friday was the net zero by 2030 um, promise from the university. Um, and ca candidates were constantly talking about that. So I think sustainability is going to be a big thing in this election. Indeed. And Eden, in terms of education now, in terms of the real big issues with that, anything really to note based on what the candidates have said today, plus as well anything else we've heard so far? Well, out and about on campus, a lot of people have mentioned the buzzword lecture capture, universal universal lecture capture. And I feel like that sort of um, really does define the issues that the education officers should be focusing on, because I feel like BC before COVID, we never really had to consider how we are being taught. But nowadays, that is on the top of our minds and the top of loads of students' minds. And I feel like clarity between departments is also really important. So the way that we're being taught is definitely an issue that people should consider when voting. Indeed, BC before COVID, it's a time me and Ellie know. It's a time Eden, you're too young to know. But yeah. I can I can tell you it was a it was a good time indeed. Well, <laughs> that is it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will be back tomorrow, same time, five o'clock. We'll be talking to your postgraduate annual welfare officer candidates tomorrow. As ever, you can find all of these hustings, plus as well, um, all of our content throughout the week, including the live results show 8pm Friday night on Raw's social media platforms, on our YouTube channel, and indeed just generally across social media. Of course, you can find all of the Boar's content as well across their social media. And of course, that you can find their election paper too around campus. Well, Ellie, Eden, thank you so much for coming on the stream today. We will see you again tomorrow. Across campus, online, and on 12.51am. This, this, this is your student radio station.